1: Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday
2: edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh, look, like, because when I shot
2: I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss.
1: So.
3: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On podcast network
2: What's going on and welcome to episode number 1000. Oh my. God, a thousand episodes of the podcast. Holy crap. I don't know why they let me do it, but it's very, very cool. Uh, I'm, of course, your host, Sean Woodley at RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at LockedOnRaptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows covering all of the teams in the big four sports, as well as the NCAA Power Conferences Please go and find the show covering your team that you like, and you'll get daily coverage from a local expert. It's just that simple, and it's that easy, and you need to get that much good stuff in your ears for absolutely free. So please go and support the shows the way all the podcast apps ask you to support them. All right. On today's show, figured there's no better guest to have than the most frequent guest of the podcast in the nearly five years it's been up and running. Uh, I don't know exactly the number. I probably should have done this research of how many episodes Vivek has been on over the course of the time, but it is Vivek Jacob. How's it going, man? It's going
3: well. I mean, I feel like I'm still in a bit of recovery mode after 15 straight days of covering the Olympics and Mm -hmm. catching up on sleep, but it was a lot of fun. Um, pretty surreal to cover it all and prep for the action and then watch the action and then react to the action and to cap it off chatting with Christine Sinclair and Stephanie Labay off their gold medal win was uh, pretty pretty awesome
2: Uh, As a viewer, I found it to be pretty, pretty awesome. And you did a wonderful job with uh, the two absolute heroes, Stephanie Labbe and Christine Sinclair. You did a wonderful job through the whole Olympics, man. You were fantastic. And uh, with that interview of Christine Sinclair and Stephanie Labbe, I believe that you take over the title as Canada's interviewer, which we're going to use to our advantage here in the first segment. So uh, just to tee up what's coming up on today's show. As promised, this is going to be Kyle Lowry week on the show. We didn't do a whole lot of eulogizing of his time in Toronto last week because it was just too busy and too many Goran Dragic deals were hanging over our heads and unsure what what was going to happen. And so we're taking this week where we're going to really reflect on Kyle Lowry's time with the Raptors in full beginning back at the very beginning in 2012-13 when he was traded to the team for a first-round pick and Gary Forbes Uh, will dig into his first year with the team and then also get into 2013-14, the year where things turned around for your Toronto. Toronto Raptors as we know them today. Uh, It'll be a fun time to start off, though. We have a summer league game to talk about. We have a Scotty Barnes debut to talk about. And Vivek, because he was so tirelessly working the Olympics over the course of the last couple weeks, did not watch the summer league game in full. And that's probably a healthy thing to do. Not watching summer league games never killed (laughs) anybody, never killed anybody. Um, And so Vivek is going to grill me on the Raptors summer league game. We're going to turn the interviewing keys over to him and he's going to throw some my way about the Raptors 89, 79 win over the Knicks and their opener down in Vegas uh, where Scotty Barnes had 18 points, 10 boards, five assists, had a few very, very fun plays. Uh, and then we'll get into the Lowry stuff in segments two and three. So Vivek Jacob, Canada's interviewer. I turn it over to you grill me in a far less low or high stakes interview. than your chat with the two gold medalist Canadian soccer champions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well inspired by your interviewing style the first question has to be Sean what was your biggest takeaway
2: oh you're calling this this is my interviewing style this is <laughs> this, that, that's more just uh, yeah a crutch I suppose but yeah uh, my biggest takeaway from the game was that uh, Scotty Barnes is a freaking delight and is also so weird and I can't wait to watch him play a whole bunch of basketball um, he I just, you know, he starts off, he takes the opening tip as like the nominal center and then Mm -hmm. runs the first possession as the ball handler. And I'm just like, all right, strap in. This is going to be weird and fun. And then he just kind of pops up in various parts of the game doing very different things, but all pretty well. Like he threw a couple really nice passes in the half court. He threw an absolute highlight pass with his left hand about 70 feet down the floor to Delano Banton for a fast break dunk. Um, you know he hit a three he hit a weird little mid-range jumper he he just kind of filled in all these little pockets of the game in really delightful ways he, he just I, I I think he's the kind of player who, who will try to pigeonhole forever and he might just never be able to be pigeonholed because he just does a lot of stuff and he's just kind of a smart basketball player like kind of advanced beyond what you should see with a 20 year old and, and obviously this is all the sort of couched with the it's summer league and it's the first summer league game and you can't draw anything from it. But I think you can actually draw some things about like basketball IQ and defensive acumen and things like that. And I think it's pretty clear Scotty Barnes like knows what the hell he's doing. He knows how to communicate. He is pretty advanced when it comes to basketball IQ and that kind of bled through the TV in a big way. Um, So he's the big takeaway. You know, he was absolutely a delight to watch. There's going to be a lot of work in progress on the offense, the shooting around the basket. Like he doesn't really seem to have the angles down on just like basic layups and traffic, but there were a lot of other things in there mixed in that make you not so worried about the offensive shortcomings at the moment, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to make him a valuable player. Like right away, like there's going to be day one value with this guy because of the way he defends the way he sees the floor. And uh, I, that was for me, the thing I was thinking about the entire time through, even though there were some other pretty nice performances.
3: Yeah, though I didn't watch the game, I did manage to catch highlights. And the, the pass that stood out to me was the one you mentioned, the left hand yeah, hit ahead to Banton. Um, it's just like he, he didn't even have a thought about, oh, this is my offhand. Let me switch it on to my right and then throw it. right. It, it was clearly something that he's just very accustomed to doing. And that lends well uh, to being a complete passer. Uh, offensively, I'm just going to take your word for it. I want to pick your brain on a couple other guys. Sure. So, Malachi Flynn. Um, yeah. I saw a couple of crazy shots that he made, uh, including an N1 early. Um, we kind of got used to seeing that, especially the second half of the season. What did you make of his performance?
2: Yeah, he's too good for summer league. Uh, <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> he, It's very clear he spent a year playing with and learning from Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, like you can already see, he just like sees the game a half step quicker than everybody else on the floor at this level. And and that's a good thing to have. You know, Fran for was talking about this on the broadcast. And by the way, Fran for is awesome. He was, he just like knows every player in depth. He's like the NBA's version of Pierre Maguire on the NHL, except he's not annoying and terrible. Um, (laughs) And so like he, was pointing out that like in summer league, if you don't have a good point guard, it all kind of falls apart because like you need guys to facilitate the development you want to see from your non guards and from your off ball players. And you need just like, Basic competence to run your sets and Flynn brought that in a whole bunch more. And like, he didn't even have like a big playmaking game per se. I think there were a lot of instances where like corner threes he set up were missed and uh, we'll get to Freddie Gillespie in a sec. You know, I thought he let Flynn down a little bit as like a role man target and stuff like that. But overall, like Flynn just controlled the game. He had his finger on the pulse, just like you'd see with one of the Raptors traditional point guards and He's too good for this level. I I hope they don't shut him down because I think him being out there is really helpful for all the other guys are trying to figure out and develop along. Um, But he was bloody impressive. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I think we're all kind of penciling in, you know, like Pascal or or OG for the big leap next season. And, you know, all leaps are sort of relative, right? You're leaping from, you know, fringy sort of top 25 rookie into, being like a, you know, a decent you know bench option or a good backup or a guy who can close games or whatever. Like that's not the same leap as going from, you know, potentially OG and an OB being a really good role player into a potential sort of fringe star. But I think the leap we could see from Flynn this coming season could be the biggest one on the team. And honestly, because of the way he can break apart a half court defense, because of the way, he can apparently maybe pull up shoot. Like, I think that's a really important potential leap for the Raptors to have. It kind of helps address the half court offense in the way that I don't know anyone, anyone else on the team really can with, you know, sort of a season to season jump. And so that was my big takeaway, even though it wasn't a huge playmaking game from a, just a raw assist total per, you know perspective. He really mm-hmm. does seem like gay, like floor manager, sort of wonderful surveyor of the action who can also fill it up a little bit. It's uh, It was a really exciting game to watch. He was super fun.
3: Do you see enough, and obviously this is one summer league game, Yeah, uh, that who closes more games between Flynn and Trent is a
2: conversation? Yeah, I would say that's probably going to be a conversation, although I would say I would bet Drogic closes over all of those guys. Like Mm -hmm. Fred Drogic is the most likely closing backcourt, at least early on in the season, and then maybe Flynn kind of moves into that over the course of the year um but yeah like i think he has the kind of skill set that you want closing games like he takes care of the ball he can sort of make the extra pass but also if things kind of break down like he can probably get himself his own shot obviously this is summer league competition and it's not nba defenders and so it's going to be a little bit different and more difficult for him in the nba this coming season than it was in the first game of the summer league but I think the things that he does well, and the things he's always been kind of marketed as doing well, right? Like he came in as like one of the best pick and roll operators in all of college basketball with San Diego State. Like that stuff very much shone through, and that stuff feels like the kind of skill set you would want on the floor late in a close game. So yeah, I think by the end of the season, he could certainly figure into the closing lineups for sure. Um, you know, I think you could even make an argument that by season's end, you'll look at some of the things he does and. I don't think this will be the right take, but I think there will be some sort of people out there being like, he should close games over Fred. And like, that won't be all right, <laughs> but it will be, I think, a talking point because he does seem to kind of have that sort of skill set that is very important in those types of tight games.
3: Now, you mentioned this guy, Freddie Gillespie. I'm looking mm. at the box score. He finishes with two points, 13 rebounds, one for nine. Yeah. Um, and based on, the highlight reel I saw it. there was only one play I think he just happened to tap in Scotty Barnes th- that opening miss off the alley mm-hmm. um and so he pretty so I'm assuming he went over eight after that uh what did you see with him
2: yeah he he was rough uh, the thing that really stands out to me is like he does clearly have like some verticality to his game like when he's going for putbacks and stuff he can get up there And that makes it all the more confusing when he like sets a screen rolls kind of directly into traffic and doesn't really present himself at all as a target. Like it is super notable. And I don't know how you like fix that or teach that, but Mm -hmm. if you're a big who doesn't shoot, doesn't really have a post game, the only way you're actually getting buckets outside of cleaning up the garbage on the offensive glass is to be a role man. And he just doesn't seem to have that down at all. And, you know, in fairness, Flynn needs to refine his pick and roll passing a little bit. I, I saw a few people kind of note yesterday on Twitter that, you know, his pocket passing could be better. But also I think Gillespie has to help him out with that by just being a good target. And, you know, that is kind of something you don't realize. And the Raptors haven't really had a good rolling big man for a while, right? Like they had Gasol and Serge who are far more happy to pop. It, it was kind of back to Jonas where they had one. And so we haven't really seen any of the Raptors guards work with a rolling big man of that type and like a vertical threat. And and I just, I don't really think Gillespie's got it in him to be that. And if he's not that, then he's just like a very clear energy third big type guy who might, might play garbage time and play in games that aren't really close. You know, if there's someone on the team who I think should be kind of worried about losing his spot in summer league, which I don't know if you can actually do that, but you know that this matters. We've only seen so many games of Gillespie we're about to see like a pretty decent fraction of that number in summer league here. Like I think he could be a risk if he keeps playing like this, of just not really carving himself out a spot on the team. And then they'll just give it to some other six foot nine guy uh, because (laughs) that's what they love. And Gillespie. Yeah. The, just the role gravity is not there at all. And if it's not there, it's just kind of clunky and clogging things up and yes, it's nice to have offensive rebounding, but are you going to put a guy out there who's an absolute zero offensively just to grab you some offensive boards? That kind of feels a little bit silly. Like the rebounding is his very clear NBA skill. After that, I don't really know where there is one. He even fouled like in the very first minute of the game, he picked up a flagrant foul fouling a three-point shooter, uh, like landed on his foot very clunkily and awkwardly. Mm. I just, I don't know, man, it, it was pretty rough. And it's just one game, obviously. And he did show some nice flashes down the the stretch of the season, but I am a little bit concerned about the overall sort of like, what is this guy actually in the NBA of Freddie Gillespie? Because there's just not a whole lot of bankable skills outside of the rebounding.
3: No, that's fair enough. I guess last uh, thing to touch upon would be the two other rookies yeah, and what you saw out of David Johnson and Alana Benton.
2: Yeah. Like Johnson was pretty quiet. Um, I know he signed his two way deal, so he didn't like hurt himself or anything like that. Good for him. And that brings the Raptors roster to, I think like 16. Um, Mm -hmm. and as our friend, Daniel Hackett pointed out, the only like actual way they can build the roster now is to sign Banton to a minimum NBA deal and then sign one other minimum exception guy. And that's the only way to stay underneath the tax. Um, so we've kind of got some clarity on what the roster's going to look like i guess and johnson's there he was pretty unremarkable and in the starting five like it, it's kind of not his fault but like i was very much transfixed on malachi Flynn and scotty barnes whenever they were playing together (laughs) so i just like maybe kind of forgot david johnson um and like he was playing up against ishmael wainwright as well and i thought wainwright was a little bit more noticeable too even though he wasn't like amazing he had 10 points he hit a couple threes um you know he had a couple moments here and there he was also a plus 22 so good for him there i suppose but um johnson was pretty quiet and then banton you know the offense i think and i i could sort of this is was kind of my takeaway when you saw his sort of herky jerk, slow developing half court operation for Nebraska, you know, he doesn't look like he's going to have like much in the way of like bounce in the half court. He's like pretty plodding and slow. He's so big. Right. And so
3: mm-hmm.
2: it might be something where he's got to be like a really good off ball player and learn how to shoot and stuff like that. Cause I don't know if he's like a ball handler at the next level, but he is a good defender. Very clearly. He had three blocks, two steals. Like he's kind of, the fact that he's six foot nine just kind of gives him a lot of edge against a lot of the guys he's going to be matched up against. And, you know, I think he could be like a pretty good little gap filling type player. Like, I don't know, this may be just like recency bias, but like the the, the version of good DeAndre Bembry we saw this year where he was just sort of at his best when he was the fifth guy in a lineup kind of doing the little stuff. I could see that being something that Banton gets into. I, I'm thinking... For sure, I want to see more of him and, and put him at the G League and see what he can do. But um, you know, I was I was reasonably impressed. Although the guy of all of the rookies from this past year's draft that I was most excited about was Justin Champagne. He was pretty mm. fun. Like he's huge. He his big knock was that he can't shoot and it's summer league, but he was two or four from three. And I don't think the shot looks like terrible or anything like that. And I could see why the Raptors would say we can teach this guy to shoot. And if they can, then they might have themselves a player because He's long and lanky. He's a good defender. It seems he had a really big block sort of uh, coming from behind on the baseline. If I recall, um, you know, he was, uh, he was pretty intriguing and I'm kind of glad they've got him locked down to a two way. So we can kind of see what they can do with him down in the G league as well. But, but that's the other takeaway. The other big takeaway is like the nine Oh five this year is going to kick ass. It's going to be a super <laughs> fun game. <team. laughs>
3: well, that is definitely exciting. Um, Cause I'll probably catch a few games this season. Um mm-hmm and write about some of these guys. Thank you for that recap, Sean. I feel fully caught up on everything that happened (laughs) yesterday between the Raptors and Knicks.
2: No sweat at all, man. Uh, very happy to provide the recap for you. Um, with that, we should pivot into some Kyle Lowry talk. We went a little bit long there, but that's okay. Um, we'll uh, we'll get into Kyle Lowry, the arrival in Toronto, the 2013-14 season, and begin Kyle Lowry week in earnest here on the podcast in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Stat Hero, a new place for you to play fantasy sports do you know 85 percent of people who play daily fantasy sports lose is it really that surprising though the game is rigged against you you're playing against thousands of other lineups not to mention experts who have more tools and more time you don't stand a chance that's until now because stat hero is here it's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach here's how it works stat hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them it's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. but look you're playing war at the casino it's like one-on-one mono a mano do it it's uh it's fantastic your name you name your stakes and the winner takes all you have the advantage stat hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time no one else does that you are in total control and stat hero is dfs the way it was Meant to be one on one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com Hero.com slash locked on for free and sign up for free right now. And you can get three times back on your first play. They are giving you 300% a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com Hero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com Hero.com slash locked on. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has
0: teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: All right, Vivek, let's talk about Kyle Lowry, shall we? Of course, the dearly departed best player in Toronto Raptors franchise history. Lots of talk about statues and jersey retirements and stuff over the weekend, the stuff you love to see. Um, We should probably reflect a little bit on Lowry's career this week and kind of dig into every little kernel of his remarkable career arc it it really we've talked about this before but it's kind of one of a kind when it comes to modern nba players and future hall of famers like it really is something that we don't see often the way you get that back half of the career surge and it's kind of floating in the wilderness for six or seven years before having that surge it's just uh it's a wild story so let's go back vivek to the summer of 2012 Uh, I'm, I believe, finishing up my third year at Carleton University, uh, you know, doing the student work job in the summer thing or whatever. And the trade comes down. The Raptors have acquired Kyle Lowry. For the pick that will become Steven Adams and of course, uh, the dude, who's the dude, Uh, 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 Gary Forbes. That's it. Gary Forbes, (laughs) the man who led the team in shots in the famous game that's Ben Uzo triple double game. I believe Gary Forbes was eight of 21 for like 20 points or something in that final game of the 2011-12 season. What do you remember from the Larry trade? Do you remember like being excited about it at all? Do you remember this being like, oh, here's another failed point guard that they bring in to lose to Jose Calderon and you know be shipped out in short order? Do you remember the day they the Raptors traded for Larry?
3: I don't, and that probably answers the question. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I had high expectations. I was, it was kind of a, a phase for the organization as a whole where everything was like. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens here. You know? <laughs> uh, and the Raptors are sort of creating these building blocks and trying to figure out where to go next and still sort of reeling from the Chris Bosch exit. Cause it, it was two straight seasons of winning 20 odd games. I know one was a lockup shortened season, but yeah, both those two seasons after Bosch's exit are in the twenties. And yeah, so it was kind of just wait and see, um, you know, it was all, Dwayne Casey pounding the rock and saying, you know, we've got to create that defensive identity <laughs> after what was a very non existent defense under Jay Triano. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, th- those are the things I remember. Um, and then it wasn't until you start to see Lowry in a- action that you're saying, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this
2: seems like a good addition. Yeah, I remember liking Lowry when they first traded for him like I remember oh yeah that's pretty like decent player and they don't really ever get decent players but I didn't really think it had some sort of grander meaning in the big scheme of things because it was so late in the Colangelo era and you're so disenchanted and just like assuming things are going to go poorly that I I didn't really move the needle for me and this is honestly still in the part of my life where I had fallen out big time of being a Raptors fan like it, it was th- those post bosh years I kind of distanced myself because I was going to school in Ottawa where nobody gave a shit about basketball and it was pretty easy to just kind of unplug and say you know what I'll worry about it when they get respectable again and little did I know that it was the Kyle Lowry move that kind of would inch them back towards respectability um, of course Lowry sort of mostly starts in that first year he actually does kind of take the, J- the job away from Jose Calderon there's a stretch in there Uh, In December, January, kind of two months where he comes off the bench for the most part. Um, But, you know, he was a starter by and large. And I I guess this is kind of forgotten, but his first three games with the team, Vivek, really freaking good. Uh, The Raptors only won one of them. They started that season one and six which isn't great. And Lowry got hurt and missed a handful of games after the fourth game. But his first three games are 21 points, uh, seven boards, eight assists, five steals in his first one on six of 11 from the field. Second game, 28 points, eight boards, eight assists, three steals on nine of 19 shooting. And then his third game, 22, seven and five with three steals on eight of 10 shooting two of three from downtown. That's the first win of the season for the team. Like that's like uh, as good at this point in Raptors history, I don't know if you can name that many three game point guard stretches better than that one for the Raptors, (laughs) Like probably some TJ Ford games, but that's like the best point guard play you're seeing, you know, Calderon was always so steady and yes, he had some nice games and you know, some big totals and, and whatnot and set some team records for assists, but like getting scoring production from the backcourt, it was unheard of at the time.
3: Yeah, no question. And I was just thinking in terms of like just filling up the stat sheet, probably you know there's maybe just some alvin williams games in there uh -hmm. and that's about it but uh yeah kyle i think you know very quickly again after after watching him play i'm like okay the raptors have something here and obviously at the time he's wearing number three and you think about philly you think about iverson uh you're not thinking he's on that level but uh, it's it's exciting and Mm -hmm. his balls to the wall style like come came out right away uh, you could tell he was the type that was very demanding and it was okay for him to do it because uh, he was very demanding of himself and so I think those mm-hmm. are the things that stood out to me early on a team that frankly needed that and you know <laughs> you, you look at someone like uh, Andrea Bargnani being on the team it, it was good to have that type of leadership because let's face <laughs> it Arndt Rosen was still really young hmm
2: Yeah. And then so that season, he is coming off the bench for a small stretch again in December, January, and then gets his job back at the end of January, the final day of January, final game of January, and then into February. And then it's just a couple of weeks after that, that Jose Calderon is traded away in the deal for um, for Rudy Gay. And so. That is, uh, sorry, yeah, this is, sorry, no, he gets the job back the day the trade goes down, sorry, January 30th, the trade happens, that's when Lowry moves back in, takes over the starting job, um, forever vanquishing Jose Calderon from the starting job uh, with the Raptors, a a dramatic day in Raptors history, Uh, and (laughs) he's the starter for the rest of the year, that year's kind of, the the tension is kind of overtaken and sort of directed towards Rudy Gay and like the Rudy Gay-Demar combo, like Kyle kind of has a pretty unassuming finish to the year. Like the numbers aren't too crazy. Lots of single digit scoring games, as you might expect on a team where he's sharing the ball with Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan and Bargnani's still there kicking around too. So it's kind of a quiet finish after that really, really strong start. And then, you know, the battling for the starting job. And then it's just sort of unassuming from then on out that year kind of ends. They, they, obviously go into the following season and things get real rough off the top of the start of the season. The Rudy Gay stuff is still circulating the, all the Rudy Gay rumors, rumors of of course, the Raptors tearing down entirely trading the Rosen trading Lowry. Um, do you remember what your sort of mindset was going into that 2012, 13 season? Cause this was the year where I kind of got myself, sorry, that's a 13, 14. That is, this was the year that I got myself back into the team. It was actually the first Rudy Gay trade that kind of brought me back in because I liked Rudy Gay. And I watched a big chunk of the back part of that season. And then going into the following year, you know, I think there was some hope that maybe they could figure out the Gator Rosen thing. Lowry was still kind of just like a cog in all of it. And he was going into his free agency season, which of course was always going to be sort of fodder for trade speculation and things like that. Do you remember your mindset going into 13, 14? Like this is going to be another disaster season. Was there hope for you or was it just like a wait and see type of thing?
3: Uh, I don't know if there was hope until after the Rudy Gay trade. Uh, Right. And so going through those games, it was rough. And you're thinking, what is the direction of this franchise? Who are the core pieces that you can actually build with? And, you know, obviously JV is in that mix as well. You're looking Mm -hmm. at the prototype of a Terrence Ross and you're wondering, I, I was wondering at least. Is like <laughs> oh okay he can shoot the three he can do this he can do that can is he like a better building block than DeRozan <laughs> um, and uh, those are the types of conversations that I was having uh, with my friends back then watching the Raptors yeah. and so yeah it was still pretty rudderless uh, until of course the big trade.
2: Yeah. So the big trade happens. Uh, The Raptors win that very fun game in LA where Amir Johnson has like 30 and 10. Kyle goes for 23, five and eight. They have like eight players in the roster and that's kind of the turning point. Um, You know, I I think this is obviously the the period of the season where the Lowry rumors start to percolate too. And the sort of hanging on the edge of blowing things up before you even knew what you had. Um, Do you remember yourself? being at all concerned that Lowry was going to get dealt? Like, do you think, were, were you thinking to, like, keep this guy where you like get as much as you can for him because holy crap, he's going to be a free agent and he's no way he's coming back. Like, what, what was your mindset around the whole, I guess this is like the Wiggins season, right? Everyone, it was kind of two sides of the aisle. You were either like keep it together and see what you have, or it was tank for Wiggins, which God, what a curse sentence that is. Um, where, were, <laughs> where were you sort of on that side? Like what, what side of the aisle were you on there?
3: uh i've never been a tank guy so Mm -hmm. i I know i wasn't on board with that but at the same time with with the raptors what the direction was knowing uh their history as a front office in resigning players keeping players happy um i wasn't confident in that either so it was more just hey sort of keep whatever you can and so if that means someone like Kyle Lowry is looking at his situation and saying, Hey, I'm out the door. Then maybe it's better to just get something in return. Um, so, yeah, obviously it, that was a big rumor that was playing out. And <laughs> thank you to James Dolan.
2: Thank you, James. Do- it really can't be said enough. Thank you, James Dolan. <laughs> um, probably have to work that into every episode this week. Uh, and, Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, the decision to not move on from Lowry is in no small part sort of why I kind of view basketball the way I do now. Like I certainly could have been sort of lured by the whole tank and the process type thinking back then. But I think keeping Lowry and just seeing how things happen when you just let it marinate and kind of let things kind of come together organically that really did sort of shape how I view tanking. And I just, I don't think tanking will ever be something I'm pro and Kyle Lowry is honestly a big reason for that because given the right circumstance and situation, the Raptors were able to kind of, you know, do the basketball thing where sometimes like a team is greater than the sum of its parts. And those teams were by no means like loaded with talent. They were starting freaking Chuck Hayes in fourth quarters of huge playoff games at times. Like it was not a a loaded roster, but, it was enough that you could kind of think about what it could be if you added more stuff to it. And that was just so new in, when it came to rooting for the Raptors and, you know, Raptors history, it just, it always felt like, and this sort of took place during the Bosch era, right? Where it's like, well, this thing didn't work for one year. So I guess we try something new and then this thing didn't work. And it was just this constant cycle of Jermaine O'Neal, Hedo Hito all these Euro guys. And it never led to anything because nothing was given a chance to breathe. Whereas this team got a chance to breathe for the back part of the 13, 14 season. And boy, did it ever uh, fill up those lungs with beautiful, beautiful winning oxygen. It was awesome. And and we're going to dig into the post trade run for Lowry, the all-star snub. And of course the playoff series with the nets coming up in just a second here. But first I want to tell you about our friends over at built bar who are making the best tasting protein bars. Money can buy, go and check out their website for all of their delicious flavors. And if you don't know which one you want, you can get a mixed box where you get two of each of their nine staple flavors in a box and you can test out which one you like the most and then order a full box of after the fact, Uh, all the bars are not just great tasting, but they are healthy for you too. 17, 18 grams of protein calories ranging from a hundred, Thirty-two, one to 180 just four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs all amazing flavors all tasty all good for you go to built.com use the promo code locked 15 and get 15 percent off your order that is the promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at betonline.ag the baseball season is very much in full swing your toronto blue jays are absolutely pasting teams Winning dramatically, making the Boston Red Sox pee themselves. I highly recommend you go put some money on the Jays to make some noise in the postseason. You can probably still get pretty good odds. And they look like they are going on some sort of team of destiny-like run at the moment. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including baseball, but also the NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, whatever it is. You can go to Bet Online before the next pitch or tip-off or face-off or whatever other event starts your sport of choice and uh, check out all the great sporting news sign up bonuses and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their run to the playoffs, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on all one word at betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. All right, Vivek. So we've reached the part of the season in 2013, 14, where Kyle Lowry takes over Uh, him and DeMar DeRozan both, uh, you know, this was, I think, a sort of shared responsibility season. I think if you're looking at any year during the Raptors run with Lowry, uh, minus the Kawhi season and thinking who was the best player on the team, and there's actually a question as to whether it was DeMar or Kyle, this might be the year. But at the same time, I don't think it was. I think Kyle was the best player on this team. (laughs) I think he was for uh, a good long time. But again, if you're having the debate, this is probably the year to have it. Um, You know, Kyle misses out on the All-Star game just barely. It was kind of him and Joe Johnson, seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson, to be exact. um, Who were those last two choices? I think Lance Stevenson was in the conversation, too, which is gross. DeMar ends up making it. Do you still have ill will towards the voters that be for not putting Kyle Lowry into the 2013, 14 all-star game? Uh,
3: I mean, a little bit, it's not something I think about, but Mm -hmm. it was the wrong decision. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I think when you look back on someone's career, like at least for the individual, those things matter and being a seven time all-star versus a six time all-star that matters you know the all nba appearances he should probably have a couple more to his name
2: oh Um, don't worry those will be plenty of those grievances will be aired a lot this week
3: (laughs) (laughs) so uh so yeah it's definitely disappointing that the accolades aren't reflective of the the seasons that he's had Mm -hmm. and some of that is obviously a byproduct of being the one uh team uh, that isn't in the states is isn't you know, Mm -hmm. one of those primary television markets for the States. Mm And uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, thankfully Kyle Lowry doesn't care about any of that.
2: (laughs) He's all about winning and he did a whole lot of that. He sure did. Um, Of course that team, that sort of season is all about the climb up the standings. Uh, You know, Lowry trying to think of like signature games he had that year. And I, do you have any off the top of your head? Like, oh yeah, that there's Kyle doing the doing the Kyle thing. I guess the one where I think it was Patrick Patterson won it on a buzzer beater uh, in uh, in Brooklyn where they were playing the Nets. Yes. The Raptors win one hundred four, one hundred three. Kyle is thirty one, five and seven with five steals, ten of eighteen. Four. It's like maybe the first like vintage Kyle Lowry game as we right. know it. Like, do you do you recall that game? Is there another one that kind of stands out as a signature one that season?
3: Um, no, I, th- I think that's a really, really good pick. Um, if I remember correctly, there was also the game that he goes to San Antonio on the road mm. and just completely, uh, you know, tears them apart. And I'm it might have sure been a
2: different year because they lost both of their Spurs games this season.
3: Um, he was no no, no. I, I think they lost the game but i think he was okay like it might have been a th- like i think it was a 30 point game and he was just like incredible um the only
2: spurs games i see here 11 points on four of 10 and then 23 on six of 15
3: so i might be looking at uh, a different season then or yeah yeah a different season um but yeah I, I think you have the best one and then you know i think because of the way that season ended, our biggest mm-hmm. memories are from those seven games against Brooklyn.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that series was like Lowry's coming out party in a lot of ways. There were a couple of rough games in there, I guess, like if you want to nitpick, but honestly not. There was like game six is kind of the only one. He goes four of 16 at, at Brooklyn to come to bring it back to game seven. When the Raptors were up three, two had the chance to close out the series that night and they just didn't. And that was kind of their first taste of, you know, playoff growing pains or whatever. Um, he, over the course of this series, uh, 22, then 14, 15, 22, 36 in game five. That's his sort of crowning achievement that season where, you know, he has the 36 on 11 of 19, six of nine from three, six assists as well. He's a plus 15 in, I think this was, this is a home game. Why can't I remember like how this one finished? Like there's gotta be some sort of dagger shot or something like that, but either way, Larry was incredible. Um, Puts them up 3 2. And like, that's sort of the first Kyle Lowry FU game in the playoffs. But like, if you kind of look at this series on the whole, and some of the shooting lines weren't great, but otherwise, like, he drove winning the way Kyle Lowry drives winning and all of that. Like, this very much is a a series that kind of dispels the notion that he's a bad playoff performer before it even begins. You know, like the Wizards series remains the only thing that stands out as like a real, real blemish on his mark. And I guess like, the shooting woes in the early part of the conference finals run where he's having the you know introspective midnight shooting thoughts where we're, we're, we're going to talk about that later this week, but like this series, like you can just go back to here and say, no, he's good in the playoffs. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, did you, what, what were some of your standout Lowry moments from this series? There's a lot like he has that, that game against Brooklyn's huge. And I think I want to say game four in Brooklyn as well. Yeah. They win that one too, when they're down to one and he has a huge game, 22, um, with four boards and two assists and a plus 14 in game four as well. What are your sort of uh, Brooklyn series memories of Lowry before we get to, obviously, the big one at the end?
3: Uh, you know, I think the one you mentioned, the game five with 36, that's that's probably the big one that stands out to me. Um, and then you could kind of see early on just, like, they were very much figuring out how to play playoff basketball. Yeah. And obviously we have memories of playoff JV and him going, (laughs) you know, doing his thing. But uh, yeah, I think with Kyle and DeMar, they were kind of figuring it out early. And then once they Mm -hmm. came on, uh, it was really fun to watch. And Kyle, especially like once his confidence uh, you know, sort of seemed to ramp up and it was like, okay, I understand this style. I know how to play my ass off and just be as physical as possible. I think that's when you saw him play a better overall game. Um, probably didn't shoot as well as he'd want to outside of that game five. But uh,
1: mm-hmm.
3: I think you could see the elements of, you know, just being someone who made the team better when he was on the floor uh, and sort of dictated how, his team went about their business.
2: Yeah. Like this is Kyle Lowry doing Kyle Lowry stuff before we even really knew what Kyle Lowry stuff was, which <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes the shooting lines can be off because he's six feet tall and it's going to be difficult, but that almost doesn't matter because he's going to find ways to impact the game. Basically everywhere else on the floor, outside of game six in this series, he is just a, a driving force for the team when he's on the floor, plays a ton of minutes as well. Um, and then we get to game seven, which is a classic. And I think I'm it's it, maybe this is like a controversial take. I'm very glad things happened the way they did in that game seven in hindsight, with the benefit of the following eight years of Lowry with the team or seven years of Lowry with the team. I'm very thankful that things played out the way they did because it kind of led so much more juice to the whole narrative arc of Lowry and it, really was one of the first things I thought about and still is one of the first things I think about. Whenever I see the image of Kyle lifting up the trophy, get it like surge ripping it from the old boat billionaire's hands and then handing it to Kyle and Kyle lifting it. The Paul Pierce block is one of the first things I think about. And I'm glad for that. As much as I don't like Paul Pierce to be in my head rent-free, uh like I am thankful things played out the way they did because I don't know if it feels quite as sweet and satisfying when it eventually kind of all gets released with the title if that very clear like stumbling block is not fallen over if that's just like a clear oh yeah they beat the nets and then they go and get swept by the heat in the second round i don't think it kind of carries the same emotional heft as it does with the way it played out is that a crazy theory or are you also kind of glad with the benefit of hindsight that things took place the way they did with that paul pierce block
3: um
2: i would be pretty
3: happy if you made the shot (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Um yeah you know with those things i always think about how much further you can accelerate the process right and mm-hmm. if if they're able to get through that first round because watching that game that was still when you think about the big picture that was still very much feeling the skeletons in the closet the ghosts of the past and you are not expecting good things to happen right and Mm -hmm. the raptors are trailing all game and uh it's like okay yeah this is this is probably uh you know something that we should have expected and and then obviously they make that late push Terrence ross steals that ball and it comes down to the final shot but you're still so so nervous you kind of saying oh man i I don't want to go through that vince moment again Mm -hmm. and and then that's the way it ends up and it's like yep it's the raptors this is the way it's supposed to go like that Mm -hmm. was the mentality that was the mindset back then right so i would yeah i would i would have loved to see kyle be the one to flip it and (laughs) take the raptors into the next round and who knows how things play out from there but based on how things turned out not complaining
2: Yeah, I wonder, and I guess this wouldn't have been the case because Masai was pretty patient in plotting. I do wonder how the team building kind of changes if they win that game, right? Like, do they Mm -hmm. view themselves as something more than what they were? Or did that loss kind of, I think, you know, did that sort of Impress in their minds. Okay, this is by no means like a completed product and we need to sort of continue to cycle dudes in and out until we find the right mix. Like, I know there wasn't a ton of turnover going into the next season, but like John Salmons is gone and um, you bring in Lou Williams and whatnot. Like it it was kind of, you know, they I don't think they got married to that team. And I wonder if maybe it's because they lost in the first round and again, had to play Chuck Hayes, critical minutes in some big fourth quarters. It's hard to say. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just... I, 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 yeah, I think I'm right. I think it's a good thing that you had that depression uh, basketball and the loss to the, to the, <laughs> I, I hate it, I, I, but I, I just, I think it kind of applies with the Vince shot too, right? Like obviously the Kawhi shot's its own thing and it's, it's, it's an enormous thing. It would be amazing on its own, but I think it kind of carries even more punch just because the Raptors had missed a game seven buzzer beater in the past. And it was like the most famous shot in team history and that's all wiped away. And I think, you know, that, Kyle Lowry block is up there before they win. The title is one of the most famous things in team history, but famous moments. And it's a moment of failure and that's not the case anymore. That is way down the list of of footnotes. Right. And it's just all of the stuff of Lowry's 11 points to start the fourth quarter in the final or the first quarter in, in game six of the finals. And you know, his like everything he did in that, like the crazy individual performances in game one against the bucks, for example, and everything he did in that series against Milwaukee, like, all of that stuff now supersedes everything that came before it, but I don't know if it's, it feels quite as good if that stuff didn't come before it, I guess is the way I'll wrap up that point. Um, and then we can talk about his free agency, I suppose going into that summer, what was your like confidence level? He was going to be back. Like, do you remember thinking, "Uh Oh, like, here we go. Same old, same old free agents going to leave for a greener pasture. Think Miami was in the mix there at the time. Um, you know, or, or were you thinking that was such a uniquely successful and fun season? Maybe he'll stick around and kind of build on it. Like, what was your sort of mindset with Kyle going into the, uh, the free agency period there? The first of his many, many dalliances with free agency during his time with the team.
3: I know I really wanted him back. Uh, Mm -hmm. remember that. And I was super excited when he resigned, but, uh, yeah, I I think, that excitement of him having resigned is partly because I did feel a threat of potentially leaving. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you, like, again, going back to the history of the franchise in terms of players, you know, just coming and going and this being a temporary stop that, that always plays in the back of your mind. And so when someone commits to the organization and they're like, Hey, this organization trusts me and they're giving me an opportunity that's when you're starting to say, okay, maybe things are different. Maybe things, you you know, you can actually build on something. There'll be some stability. Uh, and <clears throat> yeah, it, it felt like, okay, Lowry and Rosen, that's the backcourt of the future. You have a mm-hmm. center in Jonas Valanciunas. Like there are core pieces to keep building around and building with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I felt It was sort of, I guess, the beginning of changing the Raptors fan mindset for me, where it was like how it's undeniable how good this situation was for Larry this season. And it's a situation that he's never found himself in before. He's going into like his seventh season in the eighth season in the league. Like maybe he just wants to be in a situation that's good for him and finally kind of make good on all of the tools he's always kind of had, but has never been able to put together. And I actually did feel really confident he was going to be back. Like upon the end of that season, I remember thinking it would be stupid for him to leave. Like, and I don't know if I've ever felt that way about an outgoing free agent before. Like Chris Bosh, as much as people were upset with the way it all happened, like he was totally well within his rights to leave. And honestly, I don't know if you could begrudge Vince Carter all that much for being done with the team after they, you know, drafted Hoffa Rujo and did all of their horrible team building around him you know, obviously he carries some blame for everything that went down too, but like, I, I never begrudged anyone really for thinking outside of just like being a fan and like the fan rage that kicks in. I never really begrudged anybody for wanting to leave the Raptors because they were so poorly run. And this was the first time it felt like, oh no, 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 there's something here that can actually be built. And this isn't 2007 where it's a paper tiger team at a terrible Eastern conference that gets lucky and, you know, gets its just desserts in the first round. Like this is something that, can grow into something more you do have damar who's kind of on his way up and terrence ross at the time you know the potential seemed endless and Jonas was kind of coming into his own as well and lowry was the one that tied it all together like i don't think you know without Let's lowry Masai all those in pieces, that mix too. yeah messiah too absolutely um you know he he certainly inspired confidence but i think lowry like without lowry i don't know if those pieces ever kind of come together either right like you would get these sort of disparate parts that aren't really joined by anything, but Lowry's the one that kind of tied it all up in a nice tidy bow and made it all hum. And I felt really good about their chances of keeping him because of how essential he was to it. And also because it just felt like something that could go forward. And it was something that, that felt like it could continue forward because of Larry more than anybody else. So that feels like, a decent place to leave it for now. Uh, we've gone really long today, which is okay. It's the thousandth episode. I get a little past today to go along, um, but <laughs> it's uh, we're going to do Larry talk all week. We're Joe Wolfson's going to come on later on this week. We're going to get mad about all NBA teams. Kyle didn't make uh, and, you know, denigrate some all NBA nods that should not have come before him. Surely um, we're going to talk about, the, the run of the finals and everything. And we're going to dig into all angles of Kyle Lowry because there's so many to dig into. You need a whole week and probably more of podcasts to do it justice. Uh, but we're done here for today. Vivek, do you have anything you want to promote? Any last parting shots? What you got? uh No, I'll be doing my
3: uh, work for Raptors.com this season. So you can check that out. Uh, i yeah, be will. Some of the rookies uh, as we go ahead here with Summer League. So you can look out for that. Mm-hmm. um i'll be continuing to write some features i believe for cbc sports so you can look out for that too on uh, looking ahead to the winter olympics and besides that you can follow me on twitter at vivec m jacob sean i would just like to congratulate you on a thousand episodes that is Thanks, an incredible accomplishment and i'm glad i've been able
2: to play a small part in your success I mean, you're more than a spot. you like, probably have been on like a fifth of the episodes at this point. So, you know, it's a congrats to you too, man. Congrats on 200. Exactly. I'm just assuming that's the case. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming my math is flawless. No, man, it's uh, it's appreciated. And our, our pal Jay Rosales had a nice little post a couple of days ago as well. Um, it's, it's very cool. I, I, it's the best thing I do. And I hope I get to do a thousand more because it's been an absolute blast and is the way I get to keep in touch with a lot of the people I like in a way I get to talk about the thing that I spend far too much of my brain bandwidth thinking about, which is the Raptors. So um, yeah, it's not going anywhere. We don't get to, to get too sappy here, but a thousand episodes is very cool. And I'm very thankful to everyone who's listened to even one episode. You're all lovely. And to our friend raps fan, one, two, three, seven, our pal, Brandon, uh, who claims to have listened to every single episode of the podcast. Well, I I hope you're okay, Uh, (laughs) but that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Just a heads up, and this is a couple of weeks down the line, probably still, but uh, there is going to be a bit of a change to the podcast for the better, and the podcast itself is not going to change. It's just going to be available in more places. Uh, We're moving to YouTube very soon. We're going to be on video doing uh, YouTube shows every single day, so uh, get look forward to that once this, uh, the page is ready and made I'll have people subscribe and all that stuff and we'll have a good time with it and you'll get to see my beautiful face and Vivek's far more beautiful face very regularly on the podcast which will be a really good time uh that's gonna do it though we'll talk to you again on Tuesdays. we continue Kyle Larry week here on the podcast we'll probably have some more summer league notes to talk about I'm sure as well uh and we'll talk to you then with another episode of Locked on Raptors Bye bye